more ultra less ladies all things ultra all things ladies dirt runner trail runner mother runner badass mountain runner welcome to the ultra ladies show i'm your host sarah terhar and i'm your host nancy shura durvin and every week we're here to educate share stories and humor that help inspire you to run your first ultra or your best ultra whether you're on a run commuting to work or busy parenting get ready for some laughter and some real talk about this gritty sport we all love good morning everyone welcome to the ultra ladies podcast Today, we have Nancy, of course, and myself, Sarah. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Sarah. It's Ultra Mama here. Sorry, my voice is a little hoarse. Oh. Um, That happens sometimes. It's okay. Gives you like a sexy, mysterious sound. I know it does. (laughs) (laughs) And then we also have a guest with us, Kylie Aldez, today who we've had on the podcast before, and we welcome her into our Trailgate episode today for a fun topic. How are you, Kylie? Hi, I'm good. Thanks, Sarah. Hi, Nancy. Good to see you guys again. Good morning, Kylie. Yes, it's at first I said, nice to meet you, but I totally recognize you now <laughs> from our other podcast, even though we've never met face-to-face. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm super excited to have the opportunity to, to talk with you guys again. I'm excited for this topic today, too. I think you're one of our regulars now, right, Sarah? (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, definitely. So lately, as far as the time of year right now, um, because the podcasts sometimes are released a little bit later than when we record them, but right now we are in July and we are in Southern California, Nancy and I, and it's very warm here. (laughs) And I know it's warm for you too, Kylie. I was going to say, what do do you guys (laughs) consider warm? You you have a speed, Kylie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely warm. I mean, I know it's it's warm across the country, but yeah, we're hitting records this week at 110, 115 up in Phoenix. Um, it's it's hot. <laughs> yes. And I know what it's like to run in that weather for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um. It was I was I had to I normally run at like 4 30 in the morning, but today my body just did not want to get up. So I'm going to have to run later. And mm. it's interesting trying to navigate through the heat, but I think I'm starting to acclimate. This is my third summer here. So yeah, like some heat. Training well, I know what it's sure. like to run in the heat because, you know, I ran bad water 19 years ago. Yeah. And speaking of bad water, it just happened this week. Yes, yeah. It did. And uh, now it's a night start, but it still was 120, I guess. At eight o'clock in the evening when some of the runners began. And yeah. I don't know if you're aware, Kylie, that there's a new female um, course record that yeah, was set this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Ashley Paulson. Yeah. And I, saw. Uh, I guess she ran from Lone Pine at mile 122 to the finish at 135. It's a 13 mile half marathon all uphill. And the previous record for that split was 3.30. The previous female course record for that 13-mile split was 3.30. And Ashley ran uphill for 13 on that split in 2.48. That's hard to comprehend, but wow. wow. Yeah, she's she's amazing. That's always a fun race to follow, too. I would love to do it one day. Well, I can't see any reason why you wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I was lucky. I, I got in before it really became popular on the radar when mm-hmm. I ran in 2003. And I had only had uh, 300 mile finishes when they let me in the race. Mm. Um, but it, fortunately, I did have a first place at Angel's Crest 100 for my age group. Oh, okay. So that helped a little bit. Plus, I was a race director. And I think that helped a little bit too, that I was you know, kind of well-known in the running community, but that was before we had Facebook. So the only way we could communicate with people was through telephone. Um, I didn't even think we had texting or email, you know, so now it's blown up and people are really um, having to have quite a big resume to get invited to that race, but I'm sure you'll get there. And if you need any (laughs) help on hints on how to build your resume and what's important to them, I think I can help you out with that too. Oh, that would be great. Thank you. Sure. 
Okay, so Sarah, go ahead. What are we talking about with Kylie today? Well, I was going to add the dad water. Did anybody check out Sally? So Sally's doing 500 plus mile races in five months in honor of her mother. Mm -hmm. And her mother's passed away when she was a teenager. And Sally, you know, this is her third bad water. Mm -hmm. And um, last year she won it. (laughs) But this year she ended up with a hip issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that. She walked the last 70 miles and still placed ninth. But talk about strength. Yeah. And grit. And just heart. Yeah. (laughs) Just in awe. You know, I mean, (laughs) she's like the true example of just remembering your why and like such a strong why, and that really helps push her through. But yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. So just, it's neat to follow the winners and the top placers, but I think there's also something to be said for people who take longer and also the back of the Packers, because again, you know, they're out there longer and just takes more. So so speaking of um, back to the Packers, we have um, Bob Becker, who finished Badwater. He's done quite a few of them in the past, I'm pretty sure. He is coached by Lisa Smith Batchen, mm-hmm. um, who's up in Idaho, I think. And he finished in 48-17-27, um, which is technically a DNF, but the website shows his time as an honorary finish. Wow. Mm. Um, probably because he made it through the last cutoff time. Mm-hmm. And um I saw some photos of, of Bob Becker. He is 77 years old. Don't quote me on that. But he'll he's he's at the 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 record now for the oldest finisher at Badwater. Whoa. Even though it was That's an awesome. honorary finish. Yeah. Very cool. And that and I know what it's like to be out there. You know, I, I don't know if the nighttime start is harder. A lot of runners who have run both kinds of races. I know Danny Westergaard's super guy who's run 15 now. So several of his were before in a daytime start. And he thinks the nighttime um, start is even harder. I don't know if I would agree with that because I ran through Death Valley where it was 129 degrees. And then I ran through Panamint Valley where it was 120 degrees. Wow. And having two full days of the sun beating down on you. Because mm-hmm. when I reached Town Pass um, at mile 52, I think it is, um, or 62, it was midnight. And when I got into the valley of Panama, it was daylight again. And the sun just beats down on you for two, two days. Whereas the nighttime starters really only have to contend with one day of sun beating on them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and they finish and, you know, the faster runners don't even have to go through the second day. So anyway, um, nonetheless, it's a very challenging event for sure. That's impressive. I want to be Bob. Yeah, I, I know. I'm 77. <laughs> I guess I could start training again and be Bob, couldn't I? Yeah. I'm not that far from his age, actually. Anyway, <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. Well, this was a fun intro. Today we have a topic that is not about bad water, but about time management, which it does take in order to do bad water. <laughs> but in order to be an ultra runner, you'd need to have some time management skills and some tips and tricks in your hat. So we are here to discuss and provide some helpful information all about that topic today. Uh, Whether you're a parent or whether you're a professional or whether you're a professional who is a parent, there is something for everyone here and we're going to break some of that information down for you. Some of the beginning tips I have for you are don't let life demands get in the way. You're going to want to look at What is your schedule and what are some things that you're going to need to do in order to make time to train? We're going to talk about whether running is a priority for you. I know we deal with all kinds of athletes and Nancy and and Kylie can speak to this too, but we've faced people that don't make running a priority and then they wonder why they're not getting it done. Yeah. I I, I think that um, putting, putting running on the calendar is super important. You know, so we've got our job, we've got our career, we have our family or children, other commitments, and running running is equally as important if you're training for a big A event. 
So try to make sure that you you have that on your daily plan or your calendar as well when you're going to do that. And I think too, just planning ahead, you know, like as my week progresses and same with my athletes, there, you know, meetings come up and different, different, um, different commitments and stuff. And so I always, you know, I, I plan out a couple of weeks for my athletes and I do the same with my coach, just so I know what to expect. And, and like you said, Nancy, running's a priority. Um, and especially when we have some big A races coming up. And so I, I schedule that in that's, that's my self-care time. Right. And, and when I'm coaching, I honestly give my training plans all up front to the runners. You know, I know some coaches prefer to um, go, go week to week or every, every other week, like you're doing, give them a new plan. But I like giving the whole plan up front simply because they get to see what the buildup's going to look like and mm-hmm. they know what the volume will be. And if they come along and decide, you know, significant other says, Hey, let's take a a two weeks and go on vacation. They can plan those two weeks to fit into the schedule at a good time, hopefully. And of course that, that future buildup may change if they are uh, having an off week or um, they need to have extra rest. We can move ahead and just adjust those, those training volumes down a little bit. But um, I do think that um, to know ahead of time when you're expected to run and how much the volume is going to ramp up and you can translate that into hours um, that can sort of help you plan your life for the next four months or five months is also. So everybody works a little bit differently, but like you said, um, getting it on that calendar and knowing what's coming up in the next few weeks so that you can decide whether or not you need to take over time, depending on how much running you're going to be doing is super yes. helpful. Yeah. But in general, if they know they're an ultra runner and they know they're training, even if they don't know their precise schedule, they have a pretty good idea of how many hours in their week they have available. For instance, they probably know Saturdays or Sundays, they're going to run a little longer. And so just planning for that, or at least knowing they're going to have that in the coming weeks can help them, even if they only have their schedule one week at a time you know, building it in and making the point is that they make it a priority and build it in so that it is on their calendar, regardless of what else is on their calendar. Right. And that they're making it a reoccurring thing, which makes it a habit. So So Kylie, for you, what are some of the um, things you need to balance in your life to be able to fit training in for a big race? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I, can't speak to being a parent. I'm not a parent yet, but, um, I'm, you know, I work a pretty stressful full-time job. Um, and then my coaching on top of that. And so, and, and then my, my window to run, especially in the summertime in Arizona is even shorter because there's only, you know, so many hours in the day that you can really be outside running. Um, so luckily for me, it's, you know, four 30 in the morning. Um, I don't have other (laughs) commitments really going on, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely just, especially this summer, I've been traveling a lot. Um, I'm getting ready to go to, um, overseas for two weeks for a big race. And, um, it's just, it's, it's a lot, you know, I, Saturdays are long run days, um, typically even Saturdays and Sundays. And, um, unfortunately I've had a, you know, I, I don't get to spend as much time with my friends and, you know, going out and you, you just gotta, you gotta sacri- make some sacrifices and, um, and just, I, you just gotta find a good balance. And I think that's important just in everyday life in general too, you know, I'm always going to have work to do, and I'm sure you guys can relate to that as well. There's always going to be something that needs to be done. Um, but prioritizing, like today, what needs to be done today and what can wait until tomorrow? That way I can find a good balance. Um, Cause the other thing we talk so much about running, but the recovery and sleep and all of those things are equally as important as running. Um, and I try to, you know, tell my athletes that too, is you got to make time for sleep. I don't want you sacrificing sleep to try to get your running in. Um, and, and same with recovery. I think you know, for me, that's, that's just as important as running. If, if I'm not recovering and spending some time foam rolling, my runs are, you know, not, I'm not going to perform as well as, as I am. If I'm, you know, I I try to take that more holistic approach when it comes to training. 
So waking up to run at 4.30, you had to have adjusted your bedtime. Definitely. And and so like a personal question, are you in a relationship? And if so, how does that affect your partner? What time do you go to sleep at night? Yeah, um, I'm not in a relationship right now, Um, kind of in a transition period right now. But um, so, yeah, it's just I got to take my priorities. My, myself is my priority right now. And yeah. definitely I go to bed earlier because um, I have to get up earlier and that's getting a fold. Some people could, can do really well on, you know, limited number of hours of sleep. But for me, I definitely need a full, you know, six to eight hours of sleep every night. So right. um, I, I, that, I got to take that into consideration. And I also think I've been working with a couple of my athletes on this time management and, and I wanted to pose this question to you both as well. I typically schedule miles for my athletes, but I have a couple that recently I've been scheduling them time-based workouts just so they can, it's just easier to comprehend like, okay, today I need to get in a, a one hour run versus go run five miles. And I think it's easier to balance time because you're fitting that into the time of of everything else you have going on in the day versus mileage. And so I kind of wanted to see your guys' thoughts on that as well. And, you know, do you do time-based workouts? Do you do mile-based workouts and into time management? I think when I started coaching a couple of decades ago, most of my um, athletes were running with me. So we were covering mileage mostly, but not too long after I started to change over to time-based running. And the primary reason I, I decided to do that is because uh, some people can cover uh, seven miles in one hour. Other people might take an hour and a half to cover seven miles. And when you multiply that times ultra marathon training, Mm-hmm. It's my opinion that slower runners are overtrained if they're going for mileage. They're they're out there, you know, a third to half as long extra as other people who run faster. And so I feel like time-based running is the big equalizer between the, the faster runners and the slower runners. Yeah, that's yeah. very good. And you know, once you get, once you get, like for example, talking about Coca Dona 250, or talk about Badwater 135. Once you get up to a peak of X number of hours of running, whatever you want your athlete to peak at, you reach a point where that athlete on race day, after you know training through their their peak training plan, uninjured, a three week taper, let's say, where they're really restoring and building up and getting good rest and hydration. Once they reach those hours of how many hours they ran, they can just keep going and going and going and going on race day. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody trains 240 miles to run Cocodona. Right. You see, so it's just a matter, in my opinion, of getting them up to a buildup of whatever mileage uh, they can, whatever, whatever time period they can afford to run in at peak and, and knowing that that's enough for them. And both high high mileage runners and lower mileage runners, once they reach their time, they can just keep going on race day. Um, I, I also remember, Sarah, you and I have talked about this. A study was done one time that said, uh, do higher mileage runners do better at ultra running than lower mileage runners? Mm-hmm. Like how much can they cover, let's say, in 12 hours? Um, and the results of that were that the finish rates were the same between runners who did, let's say 50 miles at peak training a week and runners that did 90 or hundred miles. The the finish results were the same, but how they ran the races were different and why they DNF'd were for different reasons. The faster runners tended to DNF because they were bonking. Metabolically, they couldn't keep up the pace in hundred miles, let's say, and they had to drop. The slower runners DNF more often because of missing cutoff times but they tended to do well metabolically with their food intake and their calories and so forth. Mm -hmm. So why they didn't finish were different reasons, but their DNF rate was virtually identical. I also think Kylie with time-based training, it's easier to reel in the athletes that tend to overtrain. Yep. 
So that's, that's something that has been really a valuable tool in working with athletes and without upsetting them too much. You know, it really, it really is because I think they still feel like they have a little bit of freedom because it's like, Ooh, how much can I get in in this amount of time? But at the same time, you know, you're not letting them go for forever. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's athletes who can do, um, uh, uh, 30 mile peak training runs in, in their last, their last, um, plot of training versus runners who can do 20 miles in a long training run. If they do enough of them, it's really the consistency of the training that matters most, not how high the training became in miles. Mm-hmm. They might both run the same amount of time to run a 30 mile training run or a 25 or a 20 mile training run, but they're all getting the same amount of training for their ability is the thing. And that's why when you've got your slower runners, slower runners out there, you really want to work on tempo running one day a week. Yeah. You know, because you'll become, you'll become, you know, we don't always want to train like a turtle because we race like a turtle. <laughs> So getting those runners to do their tempo is one way that they'll they'll slowly improve over time and be able to stay ahead of cutoffs. Faster runners, they're probably already doing tempo, whether mm-hmm. they know whether they know it or not. But slower runners sometimes do not give themselves permission to do speed work. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was just listening to a podcast with Taylor Nolan. I think she did, she got top 10 at Western, I think like seventh place or something. And she's a full-time nurse. And she was talking about just the demands and, and that time management as training. She's a professional athlete as well as a full-time nurse. And, you know, she, she made some really good points. Like I'm on my feet all day. Like that, that alone is, is part of the training, just being on your feet and, you know, being active. It doesn't always obviously the running and the training and all that's equally as important, but the demands of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis as well as, is, 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 you know, take that into your training as a whole. If you're, um, you know, on your feet all day and you have a high stressful job, like our bodies recognize stress, whether it's coming from, you know, work or, um, cause we're sick, immune systems compromised, or we're, you know, not sleeping. Like our body recognizes all of that as yes. We learned that with Sarah, uh, you know, because in the middle of building up for AC 100, Sarah took a new, a new position at REI and suddenly she's, she's doing 20 extra miles, you know, every other day. And Mm -hmm. it actually did lead to a breakdown in, in her body a little bit, you know, with this injury with her foot, the only common denominator we could point out was the added volume of work on her feet. One week she was doing 50 miles of running. The next week she was up to 80 because of 30 miles of walking on the job. Definitely. Right, Sarah? It is true. Yes. And then we've also encountered athletes in a similar situation that, you know, you take that into account what their job is. So something to factor in for you listeners as well. If you have jobs, if you're hearing this and you have jobs where you're on your feet, you do need to factor that in. Maybe you're doing hard construction labor, or maybe you're working in a hospital, like Kylie mentioned. Um, Maybe you're in retail, like I did for my part-time job, but all of those things matter because it is time on your feet. And if you're unsure about it, start tracking it. That's what I did. I started, I was like, you know, I know I'm on my feet. So I started tracking. I put it on hike mode. And then from there, I just left it on. And that included walking to and from my car because I was working in downtown Santa Monica. Um, And I was doing 30 to 50 miles a week in addition to running. In addition to running. And that's challenging. It's super challenging because when you've been on your feet all day at work, you want to go run. Yeah. Work is not a stress relief. Right. And so for people like that who have on their feet jobs, it's very, very challenging. I, I would venture to say that some of the nurses I've coached um, probably only need to do one long run on the weekend, one semi-long the day after, and a tempo run. And they don't even have to run the other days. But that's not helping them cope with life. Yeah. If we cut back their training. For sure. So all of these things are factors that play into 
the time management topic when we're looking at schedules, whether we're looking at an athlete's schedule and we're trying to help them or whether you're looking at your own schedule as an athlete, think about these things. Also evaluate where your time is going. You know, mm-hmm. if you think, ah, oh, I don't have any time, but you, you know, maybe you play on your phone for two hours a day and you don't yes. realize it. Look at your screen time. If you want to check this out, go to settings and go to screen time and your phone will give you a breakdown of all the time that you've spent on various apps and various topics. That's a great advice tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you can also put caps on these. If you want to, let's say you love Facebook, you know, and you like, Hey, I only want 30 minutes a day on Facebook. You can actually put um, stops on them. I think there's actually aftermarket apps too. You can get that do this, but you can, that way you have a timer and you know, you know, and you can really reel that in. Um, maybe it's an email in your phone, maybe, you know, so really look at those and see if you can carve out that running time and take it away from other time wasters. No, I think yeah. up a really good point. I've also learned to multitask. So like at night while I'm watching, I, I don't watch a ton of TV, but I, you know, I'll watch, you know, an hour just to unwind at the end of the day. And normally I would lay there and be on my phone while watching TV. So now I'm taking advantage of that time. And I'm, I, that's when I'm doing my recovery and, and my mobility. So I put my yoga mat out in front of the TV and I'm foam rolling and stretching, you know? Um, so I think, I think, 95% of us probably spend too much time on our phones and on social media. And, um, you know, just it's, it's actually kind of a scary realization when you do start looking at that screen time on really how much time you're spending, um, and what you could be doing differently with your time. So that's a really good point you bring up. And, and, you know, when I trained for my longest race at Badwater, we had no, um, uh, Facebook back then or, or social media. And that was when cell phones were like a banana, you know, they were these big things, but I can't honestly tell you how I carved out enough time when you're adding something like ultra marathon training to your life and your life is already full. Where do you take that time away from your life? So I, my, my schedule at peak the last two or two and a half months before the race was, I was waking up in the morning. I was driving an hour to work on the freeway. I was working eight hours, driving an hour home. Then I, and I was doing heat training in the car while I drove, you know, literally changing into sweats, putting the heater on and driving an hour sweating. And then I would go home and change into my running clothes. And I would leave my house and run either to a trail or to the track where the the group was doing tempo. Sometimes my husband would drive along my path and pick me up a few miles down the road. And then we'd drive the rest of the way to the trail and then do an eight mile run with the training group, our, our club. And then we would leave and go to the gym and I would soak in the sauna, you know, in the, in the heat sauna for 45 minutes or so. Um, go next door to the gym, pick up food, go home, repeat the next day. And that was without social media. Right. So yeah. I don't know how it's, <laughs> it's, you know, I was lucky. My kids were older. My husband was on board totally with my running, um, being a runner himself, but he sacrificed a lot too. He sacrificed a lot of quality private time with me. Yeah. And yeah, you know, he gave up a lot for that race. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to finish it as much as I wanted to, maybe even more, because he knew it was my one and done and I wouldn't do it again. All my hundreds have been one and done. That's me. Yeah. But yeah, for people with children or partners, this is a big challenge, time management for sure. And, And when it comes to that, maybe training, maybe in training talk, maybe less is more. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, there you can a lot of people don't realize that you can train less and still accomplish these big events. I trained a lady from Moab last, last year, and she had a health problem that came up. And the last two and a half months, she really didn't run at all. She was able to get uh, put a put some canned goods in her backpack and walk around with the backpack full of weight. She wore it at work, and she really didn't get in any running in at all. And she was able to finish Moab officially. Wow. So, so sometimes less is more. And when we're talking yeah. about 
cramming it in. Go ahead, jump right in. Whoever. Well, I was just going to say it's like quality (laughs) over quantity too. I always tell my athletes, and this is something Mm -hmm. I have to always remember is like, don't just do junk miles, you know, go into every run with an intention. And it really is not everyone needs to run these hundred plus mile weeks. Like we keep talking about, not everyone's a high mileage runner and, um, having, have intent behind every run, make it a quality run. You're already carving out that time, like make it a quality run. Don't just, um, you know, think of miles as miles, think of the intention behind it. And, you know, if you have a specific workout, you know, we, we talked about the tempo runs and how important that is, um, you know, really take advantage of the time you're already carving out to make it a quality run. We give our athletes priority runs in their schedule, and then they have a couple mm-hmm. other runs that are not the priority. So mm-hmm. they know that if they need to flex or drop those, they can do that. And that gives them the freedom to base it on what's going on in their life. And if like going back to the topic of sleep, if they are sleep deprived, we would much rather have them train one or two days less a week and get more sleep than do junk miles. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. And 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 making up miles too. I'm working with right now and his build up to Tushers and he's done a couple big long runs, but um, there was some, he was sick and I'm like, but you focusing on just getting healthy right now and let's get to that start line, um, healthy, you're, you're fit. You've already built up a good base, but that's the most important trying to stress to make up miles and get these junk miles in isn't, isn't going to help. Yes, absolutely. And when it comes to to time management and parenting and those kind of things, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a little bit. So going back to this, this topic of finding things that are getting in your way. Maybe you have a reoccurring excuse or speed bump to getting out the door. We've all had this moment in time. (laughs) For me, it's usually tempo day. I usually procrastinate. I have realized that though. And I built in rewards for myself. I don't know if Mm. you both have something that you do for yourself. That's like a carrot, but I train Usually without podcasts and music, the exception is when I'm running town miles or during the week, shorter miles, I get those treats for myself and I reserve my favorites for tempo day. And so I set that aside. I know I'm going to have it. And I also get out and I do it early because I know it's done and I don't have to think about it. And I didn't wait. Otherwise, if I wait and it gets, you know, past noon, probably not going to happen. Yeah. Given work, parenting, everything, it just gets harder to do, right? Also it's warmer. So if you're trying to do a pace workout, it's harder to do it when it's not an optimal time of day with the temperature. So figure out what your speed bump is and figure out what you need to do to overcome it. I'm also not a morning person when it comes to making decisions. I'm a morning person to go (laughs) running for sure, but I don't want to have to figure out Oh, what am I going to wear? And what am I going to eat? Whatever. I want it all figured out. And then I'm out the door. And so I know if I have those things laid out for me ahead of time, the night before, then I can wake up, put them on and it just goes on autopilot. And then I get out and I'm happy and onward. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, that's probably the number one biggest tip just with time management and and getting out the doors, just lay things out. That's um, I, I mean, like I said, I run most mornings at four 35 AM. And like you said, I don't want to have to think about <laughs> what I need to bring. And, you know, I already, I normally fill up my water bottle even and put it in the fridge. So I'm literally just grabbing it and, and going, it takes me about 15 minutes to get ready in the morning and I'm out the door. Yeah. Acknowledge any excuses that you have, Nancy, do you want to talk about this part? I was enjoying you doing this all by yourself. (laughs) Yeah, um, a disclaimer, I just came back from two and a half weeks in uh, Northern Europe and on a cruise. So my brain is still on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, excuses are just that. If you want to run, you'll find the time. And and so to have these excuses pop up, um, if you're planning and putting it on your calendar and kind of like you do the night before a race, 
night before a race, you're in a strange hotel and all your gear is in your duffel bag. And you, the night before the race, you open up a drawer of the dresser and put your shorts in there and your bra and your shirt and your headlamp and your shoes, put everything in that one drawer. And then in the morning, you don't have to go fumbling around at 3.30 or 4 o'clock to find all your things to get to the start line. And same thing helps a lot, I think, with training. If you just have everything ready to go the night before, all in one place. And um, there's no excuse really then um, that will help deter you from getting off on a good start for the run. Uh, maybe you slept in, uh, overslept, people do oversleep, move your run to lunchtime. In that case, make a commitment that you have a plan B for running. If something mm -hmm. comes up that prevents you from getting that plan A run in, at least you have a plan B, you can run on your lunch hour, you could run after work maybe. Go ahead, Sarah. She's just talking about this now. She was saying how she didn't get her run in this morning. So she's yeah. going to flex and <laughs> suffer and run later in the heat. <laughs> well, great. I didn't sleep well. And again, like I talked about earlier, sleep if, to me is one of the, I don't sleep well if I'm not getting good sleep. So I sacrificed running in the nice optimal time of day this morning and I'll, I'll have to do it at the end of the day. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, do you, um, Kylie, do you check resting heart rate? for fitness and recovery? I have just started, I, I wear a Koros and um, I, it tracks your sleep. And so I just started tracking my sleep and my heart rate and, and it, it'll tell you how long you're in deep sleep for and how long you're actually awake. And it was a big realization for me. I try not to overthink it. I, I feel like I, I'm in tune with my body well enough that I know if I got, you know, I feel rested and recovered when I wake up, but um, it's definitely something I'm, I'm starting to track. Do you, yeah, we have, we have found, yeah, we have our athletes track their, track their resting heart rate every morning. Um, some of them that don't have a watch to do it, will just do it manually with their carotid artery. And um, we actually have them do it almost every day of the week. And then at the end of the week, they divide it by the number, they add it all up, divide it by the number of days they checked it and they give us a weekly average. And we oh. will find, yeah, we will find that as um, climate changes or after a high runs or a bonked run uh, or, or something's going on maybe with their health, um, they may have a, an increase in resting heart rate and two or three days later, they break out with COVID or something. That hmm. kind of thing is related to heart rate. Resting heart rate is first thing in the morning. Preferably you haven't been out of bed at all during the night. Preferably you went to bed at the, the right time the night before. So if you go to a party and um, have a couple of margaritas and that's not your norm, when you wake up in the morning, your heart rate might be higher because yeah. of the alcohol, because you went to bed late. Uh, and, and it's just important for us to know that about our athletes, because we really feel like a person who suddenly is, is normally, let's say in the low sixties and suddenly they're 66 or 68, we try to ask them to avoid a hard workout that day and just run easy. And, and, and then we look at it the next day and see if it came back down to baseline. Cause it might be that they needed extra recovery yeah. or it might, it might mean that something's going on with their cycle a female, or it might mean yeah. that they've been exposed to something and their immune system is working a little bit harder. Sarah, do you find that helpful with coaching? I do. And I think it's been especially critical to learn and practice with COVID and with yeah. coaching other athletes post COVID. I think it's been a really good tool to add. To and it also, I think it also is, is a valuable tool to educate runners as they look back on their spreadsheet, um, they had maybe a month that wasn't a great month and maybe they came down with something and maybe they lost their job and different things happen. We can go back and point out to them, look at your heart rate during those weeks mm -hmm. that these things were happening. And so exactly. you, you see, you, you lost your job or your car broke down, you had to get a new car, different things came up and your heart rate was creeping up. You have and, to look at the whole picture for sure. You can't look at it as an isolated thing. Cause if you only right. have their heart rate for a day or two and that's right. it, it's not enough. Yeah. But once you see a consistency and you have a baseline to go off of yeah. super valuable tool, it's very educational for them. So when they start to see that in the future, they can look at their environment and look at what's going on around them maybe, 
yeah. they can feel more confident backing off a little bit. Something increases over here. We can't control that external stress, the weather, the our job, different things, our children, but we can control our running stress. And when we see that heart rate jumping up, we can back off a little bit, take an extra rest day, something like that. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I'm going to start doing that with my athletes. All right. Some other basics to consider that you want to think about. Let's be realistic when it comes to time mm-hmm. management, right? So don't try and fit in a long run or even a mid run on a day you don't have time. If it's a super busy day of the week for you. Why are you even trying? You don't have to do that, right? So that's really would be setting yourself up for failure or setting an athlete up for failure if it's somebody we're coaching. So take into account and be real with yourself. Look at your whole schedule. If you've got back-to-back meetings, maybe you have kids school stuff, whatever, and Mondays are the day, don't run on Mondays. (laughs) You know, just don't do it. It's also going to add unneeded stress that's going to spike your cortisol that we were talking about earlier. So just avoid it and pick better days and pick a better, better schedule for training. Some other things we talked about planning ahead. Some things you want to take into account are the location. Are you training outside the home on a trail? Are you training in home on a treadmill? Are you going to a gym? Um, you know, where are you going? And so you need to fit that in and allow that time built into your schedule based on where you're training. Obviously you're not going to have commute time. If you're hopping on a treadmill, um, if it's a day, you're going to be going out to the trail. You need to allow that time in your planning. If you're a really busy person, you have to build that time in because otherwise you're going to be crunched. Well, I think it goes to the fact like training on roads versus trails as well. And, you know, it goes back to us talking about time-based training, but running miles on the road is going to be a lot quicker than running five miles on the trails. So looking, you know, what does your day allow for? Um, and do I need to run on roads or do I have a little bit more time to do trails and, and how that fits into your schedule too? Of course, just getting to the location where you run, yeah. If you, if you don't have that drive time to get over to a trail, then just certainly go ahead and run from your house and get the short mm-hmm. mileage done. You really only have to do specificity of training with the long run. Mm-hmm. That's where you need to get on a course that mimics your race. But for yeah. most week, week runs, midweek, you can just run from your house. And that saves a lot of time. Definitely. Yes, for sure. Um, there are benefits, of course, to everything. Um, if you're in home, for you people that are parents or parents that are uh, also professionals, sorry if you hear my little dog barking there. <laughs> um, in-home convenience can offer you the advantage of if you're trying to manage kids and do your training, you can hop on the treadmill while your kids are multitasking or there, or maybe they're taking a nap, maybe they're at school and you just only have time for a quick drop-off run. You have that ability to do some of those shorter runs on a treadmill. I know there are people that run longer on treadmill, but we're of course catering to ultra runners who most of the time aren't going to be wanting to do all their miles on a treadmill. Um, gyms now, um, now that we're coming out of COVID going back to the perk of some gyms have childcare, right? So that's an added bonus. If you're needing to fit that in, or maybe you need to have access to a sauna, then if you want to go in the sauna, then you, and you don't have care, you also have childcare there. So there are some good advantages to that. Um, you can also have maybe a community there. If you know friends that are also going to a gym, you have the camaraderie, you can do it through inclement weather, depending on what part of uh, the world you live in. So there are advantages to that outside though, you're going to get the benefits of fresh air, the technical training that you will get on trails that you won't get on road. Um, if you're on road, you're also going to get that form of training and that adaptation to your body. If you're needing to run on hard surfaces for certain races, things that you can't get from just running on a treadmill, right? So take those things into consideration and, you know, maybe you have a blend of both, but you need to factor them into your schedule. That's the gist of what we're getting at here. (laughs) 
Um, another perk I listed here is uh, multitasking, which Kylie did touch on earlier, which is to foam roll or stretch while you're doing something else like watching TV or a movie, or maybe you're listening to uh, an audiobook or podcast. Those are great things to do while you're doing them. I have even seen and done it myself, actually, exercises while you cook. <laughs> you can do squats <laughs> and calf raises. Um, I used to belly dance and used to teach belly dance. And you can even do, I did belly dance moves while I was cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> um, a lot of core work. So there are ways to get those things in throughout your day out of the normal uh, way of thinking of them if you are stuck in that rut. Well, and one thing I wanted to bring up too, um, and this goes back to being a parent, I have a couple athletes that um, they feel like they're sacrificing time with their family when they're spending, you know, it's more selfish when they're going to run. So um, I always say, you know, go for, go for a family hike, like do that. Or I have one um, athlete who um, her, her kid rides his bike while she's running, you know, and so they're still, still they're still able to spend time time together. Um, and he, you know, he can, he can ride while she runs and same with like a significant other, you know, if they might not be a runner, but, uh, maybe they, they can bike alongside you and you're still getting some quality time and you're still multitasking and, um, and not, you know, not feeling the guilt, um, for being selfish to want to go for a run. So that's a good tip. I always give out too. It is. I really like the divide and conquer uh, which is where you break up your runs into different runs. So like I, I've done that for my athletes, um, particularly on weekends. If they have a hard time um, getting in, um, let's say a 30 mile training run for a 50 mile race or a hundred mile race, it's supposed to run like 30 on Saturday at peak and maybe uh, 10 or 15 on Sunday. Uh, and time is, is difficult for them between soccer games for the kids and you know, events otherwise. And I'll just tell them, take your Saturday and Sunday, add the mileage together and break it up any way you want to. So you could run 10 in the morning and 10 in the evening and run 10 the next day and five uh, next day in the morning and five on Sunday evening. Just feel free to break it up. The worst thing that comes from that is you might have to take an extra shower or you might not, <laughs> right? But um that works. That really does work. And for hundred mile runs, especially where people tend to really feel that they need the back-to-back -back mileage on their, from their long run, that's a great way to break it up because chances are the average runner is going to be running all day Saturday, all night into Sunday morning and into Sunday, maybe till 11, 12, one o'clock in the afternoon. And certainly with races like 200s, they're going to keep on going even longer. So it really makes sense to take those and break them up. And it not only is getting the miles in to fit more conveniently with your work or, or, or family schedule, but it also allows a little recovery in between each set of running. You know, you have a chance to get out of the heat. You can, you can eat and drink to nourish yourself before you go out and hit the other 10 or 12 miles. And so that was, that's a great way to train healthy as well, I think. Yeah, that's a great tip. There's some other really valuable tips for parents if we're, because we're segueing here into parenting tips and scheduling and training here. Um, Nancy mentioned the divide and conquer. Look at your time that you have in the day. Again, this goes back to evaluating your schedule. If you're a parent and you have wait time to pick up your kids, I know I have this, it's 30 to 40 minutes at afternoon pickup every single day. <laughs> you can go park, go do your workout, and then you'll be back in time, you know, schedule it so you're back in time to meet your kid to pick them up. But use that time rather than just sitting there if you can. Um, for my kids' school, the issue is, um, access in and out of the school neighborhood area. And it's very slow neighborhood roads, two roads in and out, and there's limited parking. So we have to park a little ways away if you get there later, or you have to get there early and park close and then pick up and there's no bus service. So, you know, I have to go early enough to find parking and then I, what am I going to do? I mean, they're going to sit and work or I'm going to go mm -hmm. like for a walk or a run. And so that's like the best time. It's just to, Hey, especially if I've been working, I welcome a run or a walk and get out and move your body and then go meet your kid. And then at least you've got more miles in or you fit in part of your workout. So 
it's, it's a good way to use otherwise wasted time, right? You can also go to the track. I've done this tip as well. Take your kids, take toys, let them play on the side of the track, either at the bleachers or maybe it's in the grass. That's a great way to, for you to do laps or whether it's speed or not, but you have them in a place where you can still run outside and they can play and you've got your eyes on them. Um, sometimes other parents meet and there's like play groups during this time. Um, sometimes parents run together and they have a jogging stroller if the child is young and you can just go together and you almost have like a parenting date. <laughs> Plus you're pushing weight. So, you know, um, Nancy, who is the runner you talked about that ran Badwater solo pushing the cart? Oh, that was uh, Lisa Bliss. And um, she was also a medical director at Badwater for a couple of years. And she was also an overall female winner, I think, um, in 2004, because I'm, I worked medical that year and I saw her coming through. She looked fantastic. And Lisa is going to be on our panel also as well. We've asked her. And, and if you want to look up Lisa Bliss, it's Lisa Strank, S-T-R-A-N-C, Bliss, B-L-I-S-S. And Lisa has a uh, TED Talk. <clears throat> and I'd encourage you to look her up on TED Talk where she walks out on stage pushing a, a big baby jogger with a cooler strapped to it and so forth. And she oh. gives a, a wonderful TED talk about her experience doing the bad water solo and then summiting, of course. Um, so I'd encourage y'all to listen to that TED talk by Lisa Bliss. We're also gonna have, uh, we're also gonna have Caitlin on in a couple of weeks, a week or two or so. And Caitlin, I met Caitlin on Mulholland Fire Road several years ago when she was pushing a baby jogger up the dirt fire road with two or three kids in it. I forget. It was at least two, might've been three. I don't remember, but um, Caitlin's done a lot of her training with her kids when they were toddlers, just pushing them up and down trails, which is a a difficult workout for sure. I'm sure. (laughs) It makes you stronger for sure. Yeah. And I, and people who say to me, oh, it's boring to run around a track to get some bonus miles. Let's say it doesn't have to be race specific training. They say it's just so boring. And I tell them you better get used to boring because when you're out there, yeah, when you're out there on the middle of the night and you can't see a headlight in front or behind you, you're going to learn, you're going to learn what boring really is. (laughs) You know, your goal is not to be entertained all the time. You know, your your goal is to get into your head, be your own coach, be your own pacer, and learn to to muddle through the mundane parts of running to build more character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Another good tip for parents is to swap care. So if there are other parents who also need care, then maybe you can work out a deal with them where you swap certain days you know, to trade care, you take their kids on certain days, they take your kids. And that way you get in those extra uh, training sessions. I have, I'm friends with a ultra running couple, both the, the mom, their parents to a, a girl and they both run and um, they were up on the mountain. We saw them um, a couple weeks ago and they were doing a parent relay. And so they were taking turns, like running these, this, it's like a fire road. It's like a couple miles. Um, and so they would take turns running that while the other one was at the top with, with the daughter. And I just found that super neat. Um, and they said, that's like a tradition for them. They, they call it a parent relay and um, they make a full day out of it. They still get their long run miles and, you know, get fabulous involve their daughter, which is cool. That's awesome. Um, that's, we talked about partners er, earlier on. Um, it's really important to have a partner or a family that is supportive of you. If you have that person in your life, um, if they don't, it's not undoable, but it certainly makes things harder. Um, but maybe you have a family member who's also in the sport or in a similar aspect of the sport. Maybe they're a runner, maybe they're just a marathon or a half marathon runner instead of a ultra runner, but the point is that maybe you can do an arrangement with them to also share or swap care. I know spouses who I haven't heard of the relay 
one, that's an awesome idea, but they also take turns. Like maybe every other day, one has morning duties with the kids while the other one's training, or they swap that morning. One gets up a little bit earlier and does their run and the parent does the early part of the morning duties and then they get back and then they take over and then the other parent goes. So there are ways to fit it in and work it out. It just takes a little bit of flexibility and adapting. So professionals, and you think about your day and we think about, okay, what is, how are we going to fit in running? Are we going to run before work, during the day, after work? How are we, you know, where's our commute fit into that? And Nancy, you talked about your experience in doing part of even your running after work. Sometimes I know you ran to and from work. Well, yeah. And I, I started, I was a clinical research coordinator at LA County Hospital. I ran clinical trials and um, I had to start work pretty early. So I was leaving my house usually by 5.30, getting there at 6.30, 6.45 and starting our clinicals at seven. Um, I usually was off by four and home by five or 5.30. Afternoon traffic on the five freeway was always worse than the morning. And by, by six o'clock, I had to be in my running clothes running, you know, and um, that was not always easy because sometimes it got dark early. My mm-hmm. race was in July and, you know, daylight like, savings didn't really start until April, I think. Um, so it, it's, it, you have to just plan for all of that. You just have to really plan, ask yourself, how important is this goal? Uh, I don't suggest this as a routine for living. I don't suggest it as a daily life for you. But when you have an A race coming up six months ahead, you got to plan for that race. And and that means carving out that time. Um, Sometimes at work, I would take a walking lunch break. Mm -hmm. I would take my sandwich and my apple with me and eat and walk, eat and walk. And that I felt was really good training for eating on the, on the, the trail, even though it was on a sidewalk, stopping at red lights and that sort of thing. But the eat and walk was for me more just to avoid sitting in the chair when I ate my lunch and to be able to try different foods out that I knew I would, I would be uh, wanting to experiment with in my training runs. I love that. I, um, I now work remotely. Um, and my whole team is, I, I get to just interact with them over a computer screen now, but, um, I worked at the YMCA for 12 years. So I was lucky that I had, you know, I was in an environment where I could very easily jump on a treadmill. Um, I had access to showers and everything, but, um, just being prepared to like, if you do run on your lunch, come, you know, bring, if, if you're having to take a sink shower, we've all taken the sink shower, you know, bring some, an extra pair of clothes or something to change into in the afternoon, just so you feel comfortable still finishing up your work day. Um, but all of that, you know, going into take all of that into consideration when you're, um, having to fit in training within your work day. I think we covered, um, lots of tools and tricks for, uh, time management and fitting in the extra volume of training that's going to be in your future if you choose to do a big race um, and ways that you can do that. Um, I, I, I think that my experience alone with training for Badwater and holding down a full-time important job uh, and managing my relationship with my husband and so forth was, is certainly was a learning experience for me that I've been able to use um, and when I coach my athletes as well. And uh, the only other thing I would close in saying for me, at least is just don't get, don't get caught up in the frenzy of your training. That FOMO is real. Um, when we start building up our mileage and we start getting really strong, I think something takes over our brain. And we kind of fall into that more is better, more is better. Mm -hmm. I should go run with them on Saturday. I should go run with, you know, them on Sunday. I should go run with this group. And, and I really feel it's important when you plan your training and whether or not you work with a coach, you've planned out that training, you've carved out your time. It's just super important to stick to your training and not get caught up in the FOMO of jumping in to everybody else's training run. 
um, because that's that excess that leads to problems usually. And it also, it also prevents us from being a really nice person, I think, if all we do is run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to not compare yourself to others too, I think um, so often we get so caught up in, you know, scrolling through Strava and, you know, and, and like you said, the FOMO of like, oh my gosh, everyone's doing these long runs and maybe that's not where I'm at in my training block right now. And um, looking at professional athletes where that's their job and, you know, we still have to manage a family and a full-time job and things like that. So just not comparing yourself to others and just you know, running, running for you and figuring out where, what works best for you. And that might look different than um, your friends or others in your running community. Yeah, I, I can actually share an interesting story about that from my own experience. Back in 1997, um, I had the ultra ladies group going for a couple of years and the ultra ladies that I had, we had run together probably for two years and uh, new people come in every April. Back then, we always launched a new season about a month after the LA Marathon in March. We would open up the season April for Ultra Ladies. And it just so happened <clears throat> that after running together for a couple of years, my founding group of Ultra Ladies were ready to take on the 100 mile. So we all registered for Vermont 100 in July that particular year. And so come April, when the new ultra ladies joined the group, uh, I was I was the leader who carried the flower and went out and made the arrows, you know, and and uh, some of these new ultra ladies coming off of the marathon were starting out with maybe 12, 14, 16, and um, they would gradually build from there. But I was getting to the point where I was needing to run 50 mile weeks, <clears throat> 20, 25 mile training runs. And so I would hook up with the group in the morning, meet and greet them, go out and run the miles with them, then get back to my car, put some ice in my bottle, saddle up and go out and finish the mileage myself. A lot of the, um, a lot of the, a lot of the people running Vermont joined in on me with that, but there was one particular person who said, the new group is too slow. They're going to slow us down. The new group is, you know, they're, they're holding you back in your training. And I had a commitment to my team and I felt that I could do that. But this person said, no, 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 no. We have to train on trails. We have to go into the mountains. We have to camp out. We have to do back to back, back to back. It's super important that we do back to back. And she, she did entice some of my founding ultra ladies to join her group to train for Vermont. <clears throat> and I was heartbroken. I really felt um, let down by that. And it was, I took that as very personal at the time, but I stuck to my training. I continued to meet with my group of newbies who are super amazing people. They come in with so much energy and they have so much amazement for what you're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. as their coach. And it really fueled me. And the long story short, the punchline of the story was, at mile 97, 98 at Vermont, I passed this lady who had gone off to do her own training that she thought was better than mine. I passed her and it was kind of weird. I was like, she's right there. Do I, do I stay behind? Do I go past? What do I do? And I just, I was feeling so strong. I decided not to hold back my, my finish. So I went ahead and passed her. And so really what that tells me is, you know, you can't do other people's training. Maybe I didn't train as hard as she did. Maybe I didn't camp out overnight in the mountains and hit the trails early in the morning like she did. My training runs were more local to where I lived. But in the end, my training was more than enough for me to even run it faster than her. So I, that was a big learning experience for me. Don't do what other people tell you you have to do. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. For sure. Run your own race, do your own training. Everybody is unique. You have to do what's right for you and what works for you. And if something's not working and you have a coach, definitely talk with your coach about that. If you're self-coaching, reevaluate and figure out how you can improve your training and your life and how they fit together. I know I've been both 
of these things that we've discussed today. I've been a professional and a parent. I have run while I did a professional business job full time. And I had a kid that was in childcare. And I know Kylie mentioned early on parent guilt, mom guilt. Those, those are real. Um, they do make you a better person though, if you can stick to your schedule or at least some form of exercise, it can relieve stress and it can clear your head a little bit. It can make you healthier physically. And all of that makes you a better parent and a better person. Um, my takeaway tip I will leave you with that we didn't mention earlier when I was doing all these things, you know, full time and it was hard. I used to plan my run days with my childcare. I would fit my run in after work before pickup time. So I would knew what time I had to pick up my kid by and I would go get a run in before I had to pick her up and I would show up to pick her up in sweaty run clothes. <laughs> and that was one of the best ways I was able to, to do it as a single parent. So, yes. you know, there are workarounds. You just have to get a little creative and figure out how to do them and don't get discouraged. Find out what other parents are doing, join some run groups and ask questions, talk to your coach, <laughs> talk to other ultra runners, and you can make it happen. Definitely. We believe in you. <laughs> you're, you're not alone in this. We're all struggling to find the time. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Thank you, Kylie, for joining us on this valuable topic. Thanks for having me. That was fun. It's yeah, it's your, it, you're a really a wealth of knowledge. I don't know how long you've been ultra running, but you're sure you're sure really a good representative of the sport for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm still still learning every day. So I, I learned from my athletes and my yes, um, you you all. So thank you. Yeah. Lifelong thanks for, learners thanks here. Thanks for being with us. And we look forward <laughs> yeah. to having you again. I'm Definitely. looking forward to it. Thank you, friends, for listening today. Your support helps us continue to bring you valuable content. So remember to like, subscribe, and share on your preferred channels. You can connect with us personally on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Links to those as well as our production team, sponsors, and guests can be found in the show notes. All right, everyone, until next time, go be more ultra, less lady.